Good morning, church. We are in week two of our Christmas series, Christmas According to Luke, where we're looking at the story of Jesus through, through the eyes of, of Luke and his gospel. And so if you have your Bible, feel free to open to Luke chapter one. I want to read from there in just a moment as we read about the story of Mary receiving news of the birth of Jesus that was foretold. Uh, but let's pray as, before we open and begin our time in the Word. God, we, uh, we thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus. It's in this season that uh, that can be lost in the midst of so many other things that, that go on, uh, from parties and friends to gifts and, uh, and figuring out how we're going to be able to cover everything that's needed in this time. We, we ask that there would be uh, enough, God, that we would make space in this time to remember your son, Jesus, who is the reason we celebrate at this time. And I pray today, God, as we open your word, and as we read this story from centuries ago, that it would be as if your word is as close as our own breath today, speaking exactly what we need to hear in this time and in this day for our time in 2018. I pray this morning you pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 1, I want to start reading in verse 26. In the sixth month, Of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He'll be great when we call the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and, and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One, to be born will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. As I've dwelt on this story over the last few weeks, I there's a word that I've keyed in on that I just can't let go of. And as I started to look through scripture, I realized how powerful a word this is. It's a central word to this story, the Christmas story in Luke's gospel. It's, it's central to the entire book of Luke. And I, I think it's actually central to the entirety of scripture. And it's a question that I think a lot of us have about ourselves. But it's a word that I rarely use. And that word is the word favor. Favor. Elizabeth uses this word when she discovers that she's pregnant. I want to go back. I want to read several verses to show you how often this shows up early on in Luke's gospel. The first of those places is in Luke 1, verse 25. This is Elizabeth who speaks this word. The Lord has done this for me, she says. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And then when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, he says twice this word favor. The first is in verse 28. Let me read it again. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And then again in verse 30, a second time with Mary. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. 
Right after this scene, we didn't read it earlier, but in verse 43, Mary and Elizabeth had this encounter together. And listen again to this word that shows up in verse 43. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me, Elizabeth says. And it's not just in Luke 1. In Luke 2, a story we'll talk again about on Christmas Eve in our celebration together. Uh, There's a story there about the birth of Jesus. And in the field with the shepherds who create space for Jesus to come, that word shows up again as the angels sing over that field. Chapter 2, verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Jesus uses this word when he quotes again a little bit later on in his first sermon in the Gospel of Luke. He shows up at his hometown synagogue. We'll get to this in January as I preach through the rest of Luke ahead of these stories about the birth. Listen to this, Luke Chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, this word shows up again. He reached from Isaiah and says, the, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The question throughout the Christmas story, the question throughout the entire Gospel of Luke, the question throughout the entire Bible The question that constantly runs on in our own minds is that question. Who is favored? Where does favor rest? And at this point, I think we do need to define this word because it's not a word that I use often. I I don't know about you. I'm hoping maybe this week you use it more often after today's sermon. But I want want to define favor this morning this way. Favor is preferential treatment shown to someone. It denotes acceptance, approval, approval. And pleasure. It's the root word of a word you probably use more often, favorite, right? From an early age, we have a finely tuned radar that picks up who it is in our culture, in our classes at school, in our workplace, has the favor of people. Do my parents see me or my brother or sister as the favorite? Do I have the favor of my boss? And ultimately, the question I think underneath all questions is, do I have God's favor? This question has been around since the beginning of time. In fact, back in the ancient Near East, before Jesus ever showed up, a lot of religions and pagan uh, religions were focused on this very question. Their belief was that the gods are far off and they're, they're angry with humans. So it's the job of humans to try to appease those gods however we can. And so a sacrificial system was set up. And the idea was, if these gods are mad, maybe we offer a little grain to the gods and maybe that will appease them. Maybe we'll have their favor. And then they would... Uh, give a, more of their crops if it didn't work the first year. And on and on they would go from, from, from maybe birds that they would sacrifice to a, a goat. And eventually, as these religions progressed, it got to your firstborn son. Whatever you could give that was of value to you, you would give that up so that you could have the favor of the gods. But the pursuit of God's favor is not just a pagan pursuit. It's the pursuit of, uh, of people who are trying to follow God early on in our story that we read in the Bible. So flip back, if you would, with me to the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. I want to read Genesis 4, one of the early stories about the first murder that ever happens in Scripture. And pay attention to that word favor as I read these verses. Genesis 4, verses 1 through 5. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she said, uh, gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept the flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. 
And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Cain, whose sacrifice was not looked upon with favor from from God, ends up killing his brother Abel. A couple of chapters later, of violence and evil has increased on the earth. And it's interesting how this word shows up again in chapter 6 of Genesis. I want to start reading in verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I've made them. But Noah found, there it is again, favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah and his family are saved because the favor of God was upon them in this time. Later today, I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible concordance at home, go home and open that up and look how many times favor shows up and where it shows up throughout Scripture. It's an amazing study. If you don't have a concordance, you can go on Bible Gateway. It's a great tool for any of you that want to study more on words that show up. Just type in favor to Bible Gateway and whatever translation you want. Pull that up. It's fascinating how often this word that we rarely use shows up as the central pursuit of the people of God who are seeking his favor. We all want to know that we're favored. We want to know that with our own families, that we have the favor of our parents. We want to know that a lot of our pursuit of relationships and love of a significant other is a pursuit of the favor of another person. When it comes to God, we pursue that as well. I think a lot of us would long on our deathbeds to get to a place that we die with the certainty of knowing that we have the favor of God and and, and what comes with that. We want to know that we're favored. And because the desire for God's favor is so central to us, it's also one of the core places that we can be manipulated. It's manipulated by other human beings that try to do what they need so that they can offer that favor if we'll do enough. But it's also something the evil one uses against us. He knows it's like this gap in our armor that can be exploited for the purposes uh, that go against God. Little kids pick this up from early on, right? They use their birthday parties as leverage, right? Because a birthday party's favor, right? Favors come along with a birthday party. So that line, well, I'm not going to invite you to my birthday party, is working with that gap in the armor that we know we all long to have. And it doesn't stop with childhood. Because some of us scroll on social media and feel bad when others are on vacation and we realize we didn't get the invite that the other favored friends did. This desire for favor, again, it's that weak spot. It's that place that can be exploited. And all of us have this weakness that the evil one knows that that can be pursued if he wants to take us down. From the serpent and the Garden of Eden to the temptations we face in 2018, evil capitalizes on this search that we all have for favor. That was what the first sin was actually all about in Genesis 3. In that story, the serpent knows that there's a weakness there. And Eve... uh, is trying on this quest to find the favor, right? Favor that's all around. And my question is, if you look at Genesis 1 and 2, what are they missing? Why do they think they need more than what they have? They have enough food to go around. They have have everything they can need. They have a relationship with one another. God walks with them in the cool of the day. What more could they want? 
But the serpent tempts Eve with fruit from one tree that is forbidden to humans. And one thing I know about me and most of us is that anything that we're prohibited from having gains this allure that wouldn't be there if it weren't prohibited. And that was true of this tree. And the serpent knew that if Eve had any kind of emptiness, any kind of longing, any kind of desire for favor that couldn't be found in the trees of the garden or in Adam or in God walking in the cool of the day, then maybe the one thing that's prohibited would have power. And the serpent uses that in that moment and says, maybe there's something you're missing. Maybe favor is there if you were to partake of this that's off limits and prohibited. And for thousands of years, Eve has been the butt of the joke as a result. But I remember growing up in youth group days, you know, you had the boys and the girls that didn't know how to really interact with each other, right? And, and, and there was this kind of battle of the sexes, right? The guys would speak up for how great guys were. The girls would do the same. And, and we always had this card ready to be played at any moment, right? Well, it was Eve's fault that we're out of the Garden of Eden, you know, as if any of us can claim to be perfect and could have pulled that off. But the older I've gotten, the more reflection I've done. And the, and the story of Eve, I don't believe it's just a one-time event that happened. I believe it was that, but I also believe it's something that happens every single day in our lives throughout our world, doesn't it? This longing for something more than what we have, and the temptation that's there that whispers, if you could just have that, if you would just grasp that thing, then, then you would finally be fulfilled. Then you might just have the favor of God. And what I found out in youth group is it wasn't just that bantering back and forth. In fact, some of the messages I got early on about faith was, it was actually not the bad things that I was tempted to do that was to seek the favor of God. Sometimes it was through the righteous and good things that I was seeking the favor of God. If you'll just read your Bible more, then maybe you'll have the favor of God. If if you'll just uh, pray a little bit more, then maybe God will hear your prayers and you'll finally have the favor of God. If If you'll become a preacher one day, God will give you his favor. If you'll just do this, then God will bestow the favor we all long for. This if-then spirituality is one of the most dangerous things we can lead ourselves to because it puts us in a place of despair. It leaves us always with this ache in our souls that says, maybe there's one more thing out there I could perfect and get just right, become worthy of, and then finally I'll receive this favor that I've longed for. Some of you are here this morning still with an emptiness, longing maybe if I could just do this, I can, if I could just get one more answer and fulfill that, then I'll be worthy and I'll have the favor of God. Church, I believe in the miracle of the virgin birth. It's a story that Luke tells. It's a story that Matthew tells in his gospel. But there, there's another miracle at work in Luke 1 that I want us to see that maybe goes a bit more unnoticed. And I discovered this miracle uh, in, a, in a whole new way just a, a couple of weeks ago when one of you put on Facebook a picture, a piece of art that I wanted to show to you. This is a picture that I spent time with. In fact, I want to leave this up for a lot of the sermon going forward because I want you to have this in your mind's eye as you think about this story about Mary and what she received. This piece of art depicts two women that we read about in Scripture. On the left is Eve, the woman that I used to tease the girls in youth group about. But the older I've gotten, like I said, the more I've come to realize that uh, I'm Eve as well. I try to secure God's favor through grasping for fruit that ends up uh, not fulfilling. And I've tried to be perfect. I've tried to preach well. I've tried to grow a church. I've tried to be a good husband and a good father. I've tried everything to grasp for, but I've come to realize I cannot earn the love of God as much as I try to do it on my own. The woman on the right, that's Mary. 
And, and yes, you can see the virgin birth is a miracle. You can even see it uh, there on the screen with her belly that's extended with a child that's growing. But there's another miracle in Luke 1 lurking under the surface of this story. Mary, she was a girl at the time she received this announcement. Guesses are somewhere between 13 and 15 years of age when the angel Gabriel, Gabriel appeared. She's a peasant. She's engaged to this guy that seems like an honorable guy. He doesn't want to put her away in a way that would be shameful. He's going to try to figure that out and needs an angel to figure out what to do next himself. But this angel appears to Mary and tells her that she is highly favored. She has the favor of God and is going to conceive of a son by the Holy Spirit and that this child will be holy and will sit on the glorious throne of David, none of which seems terribly likely to this peasant girl. This young peasant girl, isn't it interesting? The favor of God doesn't lead to an easier life for Mary. It leads to something hard. It leads to being misunderstood by even the religious among her, her own family. Imagine all she went through, that Jesus went through with the names that were called because, uh, right, a virgin birth. Never heard of that before. And when we think of this scene between Mary and Gabriel, we tend to think of the faith it took for Mary to believe this word. You're going to give birth to a son. And she says, well, how will this be? I'm a virgin. I know enough about science, even though the scientific revolution hasn't come along yet to know that's not how this works. I don't know how this baby is going to come. That seems hard enough to believe. But I wonder if you had been in her place, which would be harder for you to believe? the king of the world was going to be born through you through this overshadowing of the Holy Spirit or the part where the angel said that you were highly favored. I've just never been able to muster on my own a belief that I'm highly favored by God. And here's where Mary had some real chops. She heard outrageous things from this angel and her response is, I guess you got the wrong woman. That was what Moses said, right? There's a lot of people who reject the call of an angel that shows up and aren't quite sure that they're the right person to receive the call. But that's not what Mary says. Mary says, let it be to me according to your word. Mary trusted the word the angel had told her, that she was highly favored. And maybe that trust is the very thing that made her favored. Maybe the really outrageous act of faith on Mary's part was trusting that she had found favor with God. What if God's word is so much more powerful than our ability to become worthy before him on our own? The surprise of this story is that it is God's nature to look upon young peasant girls with favor because God's just like that. That's his consistent message throughout the scriptures. How would my life be different? If I truly believe that I was worthy, that I was favored by God, if I trusted that with my whole being and lived out of that identity that was set in this announcement of favor, I think it might just change everything. That would be a miracle as large, maybe larger than the virgin birth itself. And that's the difference between these two women as I think about it. Eve was grasping for the favor of God. Well, Mary receives and says, let it be according to your word. Because here's the thing about the word favor. As I look back and I I looked at the uh, Old Testament stories, I looked at the New Testament stories, and I I, I typed this in on Bible Gateway, just a simple search. And I started to do some background work. What I realized is that there's some interesting 
background to this word that we translate as favor. In the Hebrew, the word is pain. You've got to say it in the back of your throat like you're trying to cough something up. Hebrew is a little harder to say than, than English. Pain. Can you say it with me? That's perfect. You guys got it. Pain. And what Cain can mean is one of two things. It can mean favor or it can mean grace. And, and it's interesting. We tend to talk about the Old Testament as if there's no grace there. Well, maybe it's just translated a little differently. And and this word can mean favor or grace. What does favor mean? Favor is an unmerited gift. It cannot be earned. It can only be received. Grace. What does grace mean? Grace is an unmerited gift. It cannot be earned. It can only be received. It's bestowed. In Luke chapter 1, when Gabriel calls Mary highly favored, the word there that's translated in the Greek is the word charis. And charis, uh, charismatic or charisma comes from the same word. It means the same thing. It can mean favor or grace or it can also mean gift. And I love that. Mary is highly favored. She's highly graced. She's highly gifted. And that's what the woman on the right of the picture that I showed a moment ago understood that the woman on the left didn't. The grace and favor of God is not something you grasp for. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you become worthy of. It's only a gift that can be given to you. It's like the end of the birthday party where the favors are passed out. You didn't do anything to deserve that. It's the favor that's given. It's a grace. It's a gift. It's a chorus. It's a cane. Favor is a gift that cannot be earned. And miraculously, Mary trusts that gift. Now, what I'm doing this morning is a little bit dangerous because most Protestants don't really know what to do with Mary, right? It's like Catholics have dibs on her and we just kind of stand by and we dust her off and put her up in the nativity scene as this kind of beautiful mother that gives birth to the one in the spotlight and then we put her away so she doesn't embarrass us anymore. There are so many reasons to love Mary. And it's not just this week. Next week I want to come back to the story of Mary and convince you even more that Mary is somebody worthy of studying and understanding more about. In reality, we know more about Mary than we do about most characters in the New Testament. We know more about Mary than anyone besides Jesus, Peter, Paul, and John, probably. And there's a way to preach this story that praises Mary as a good, submissive, docile woman who accepted her role as Jesus' mother. But that would be a mischaracterization of Mary. All too often in church, that's what we do. We praise women for their ability to remain quiet, submissive, and out of the way. We preach submission as a female virtue. And then we praise men for their courage, for their boldness, for their leadership. But the last time I checked, the fruit of the Spirit isn't given out by gender. It's not that some of these gifts are for women and some of these gifts are for men. And we're all to exhibit these gifts of the Spirit when we have the Holy Spirit within us. And as much as we like to remind ourselves that it's the wife's job to submit to her husband, we forget to look at the verse prior to Ephesians 5.22 that says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And as I read this story, I think about the story that comes right before it because Mary, her response is, let it be to me according to your word. Yes, she has a little question about how this whole, you know, birth thing is going to work out. But look at Zechariah right before this. Zechariah isn't near as willing to trust the word that God has for him. And I wonder if he wouldn't have been mute for quite as long if he had accepted the word, if he had submitted to the word of the angel in the same way that Mary was willing to submit to the word that was given to her. I mean, Mary's submission to God is the very trait that allows her to be the strong woman that she ends up being. Maybe we forget that because we haven't focused on her. 
But have you read the lullaby that she sings to baby Jesus in a room that comes in verses 46 to 55? If you haven't, read it this week. I'm going to come back next week to that. That's not the submissive woman who's afraid to assert herself. That's the lullaby of a woman who's willing to stand up to Herod himself, uh, realizing she might die. And in the end, there's a lot of children that die. And God graciously saves Mary and her baby. Mary can hold her own. Remember, she was the one who basically says to Jesus, hey, there's empty wine pitchers at this wedding. Why don't you fill them up right now, Jesus? And he's like, hey, let me wait my time, Mary, right? But he ends up doing it. She's the one who approached Jesus when he was lost and he was at the temple. She's the one who reprimanded him and said, hey, could you let us know when you're going to run off next time? If you want to know what kind of strong woman Mary was, just look at the kids she raises. Read the book of James. See how much of her prayers and words that she sings in that lullaby show up in James' book later on. And when you read the words of Jesus later on and see his message, I have to wonder how much of this is shaped by Mary. It's interesting as you read the rest of these stories. You remember that prayer that Jesus prays, one of the most important and difficult prayers he prays. He bleeds drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? You remember what he said when he prays that prayer? He says, Father, not my will, but yours be done, which sounds like an echo of another prayer that we just read. May it be to me according to your will. I'm the Lord's servant. Jesus knows he's favored, and that's why he's able to stand up boldly in the way that he does. He submits to the Father's will, and that's why he won't step down to anyone else. And his mother knew she was favored as well. So the question this morning is, do you know that? It's not just Mary who receives this word about the favor of God. What I want to communicate to each and every one of you who's here this morning is the same message Mary received is the same message you need to hear and accept as fully as Mary does. Do you realize you're favored? You realize that, that favor is not something you have to earn or you have to become good enough for God to finally give it as a gift. No, it is this gift that we don't merit, that we are not worthy of. It is only a gift to be received, to be bestowed. We can reject that gift. We can live as if, we're grasping for something to give us the favor of God. But the consistent message of Scripture is that we have the favor of God on us right now. I want to encourage you this week as, we, as maybe you read ahead to the Magnificat, Mary's song. As you think about this young teenage mother who accepts this word from God, not having a clue about what that might mean in the days to come. Think about the strength that Mary had. and Think about where that strength came from came from accepting the gift that God had given to her. You were highly favored, Mary. May it be to me according to your word. My prayer this week is that more of us would understand that message, that we would hear that message, that we would stop grasping like the picture in Genesis 3 of Eve, and we would see that picture instead of Mary who says, let it be to me according to your word. May we act out of that strength, that as we submit to God, all of a sudden we have a boldness to live out the calling that God gives to us in the ways we need it most in this day and age in 2018. May it be to us according to his word. Let's pray as we close this morning. God, we didn't even know it when we walked in the room how much we long for the favor favor of others around us, the favor of that person that committed, we committed our lives to that seems to be 
divided their attention in all other places, and we don't feel that favor. But God, more than anything, uh, the root underneath all that is we want to know we have your favor. And for centuries, humans have been trying to devise religious schemes and practices and, and, and ways to grasp so that we can grab on to the favor of God, not realizing the entire time that that favor was already a gift that was given to us. And God, we can know that in our heads, but there's a knowing that a lot of us need to take that is 18 inches south of our heads to our hearts, God, that is the hardest distance to move some ideas. So God, in the midst of all the messages we have received about needing to become good enough for the favor that you give, I want us to hear and receive this message and this gift that Mary gives to us, which is not a fighting against your favor. It's not a questioning of ourselves, and it's not in any assumption that we're special on our own merits. But it's the submission that says, God, may it be to me according to your will. Accept this gift, this caress, this pain, this favor. And God, out of that favor, we want to act as bold people who respond with the good news of Jesus wherever we go. I thank you for the men and women in this church that exhibit that, that favor, that have owned that. And God, I pray more of us this week would accept that gift, that we are highly favored, and that we have a calling on our lives, that we lay our lives down to, that we submit ourselves to you and to your reign, and we live out of that confidence of that. God, I pray that for the first time, people would receive that right now. In the midst of the messages they receive from others all throughout their lives, that they're not good enough, or that they just need to earn and work a little harder. I pray in this time right now, they would receive your favor. So God, we trust it. Let it be to us according to your will. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.